John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessed entry 596.ex2208. Certificate number 23421. Honest Dick. Don't you hope that uh, whoever the listeners of the future are, that they are ruled by good and just and wise men or giant spider crabs or warrior queens hmm. or whoever? Like I, they, they, unless they're a true hive collective, they will have some kind of leadership. Even a hive has a queen. Well, it's true, although does an aspen have a queen? Yeah. Yeah, the queen aspen. Uh-huh. She's the only one that can reproduce. The other aspens bring her um, different kinds of jellies and lichens. I learned yesterday that an ant queen, just a regular ant queen, can live for 30 years. 30 years? Yeah. The other ants come and groom her and take away her her bad uh, skin or something, and she just continues to grow. And Do you think they know, like... I lived longer than Jimi Hendrix. Like, do those ants are like aware of how cool that is? That's what I'm wondering. Like, I used to kind of deal with ants somewhat with impunity, and now I feel like they are wise. Can you check to see if the one you're about to kill is? I think the worker ants even live for two years. They've they've been in the shit, man. They've seen some stuff. The ants, like, you know, they live longer than tulips. I celebrate tulips. Maybe their time perception is related to their, like maybe no matter how long you live, it feels the same. Like, mm-hmm. so to them, time is passing incredibly slowly. You know, they, they watch a perfect bead of rain fall extremely slowly. And it seems like a glacier to them. Form a little crown as it gloops <laughs> up off the sidewalk <laughs> because they're getting the same amount of experience we are. How do they feel when they get washed down the bathtub drain by my uh, shower <laughs> It's <head>. agonizing torture. <laughs> like we're just like, oh, this will be no problem. Psh, 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 psh. And to them, it's like, like, a, like they're being waterboarded for a year. As someone who has studied government, I feel like the prospect that futurelings will have a kind of benevolent oligarchy or, uh, you know, like altruistic philosopher king. Some utopia. 
Uh, seems unlikely given what? given how I thought you were going to say it was a near guarantee. No, I would <laughs> I would have always said that. You know, as a as a liberal, I am intrinsically a utopian, right? You, liberals think that things are going to keep getting. We're better. all very chipper about yeah. government, despite all available evidence. Well, no, but I mean, you, you think uh, you think that there it is possible to get better because yes. that's what all our policies are about, right. right? If we just do this and then do that, then if we didn't believe that, we would just take our ball and go home, right? And, and we'd be conservatives, basically, <laughs> right? Shut down the government for a month; it's fine. Conservatives assume that things are going to be rough, and their policies are to secure, yeah, it's damage their, control. Right. I want me and mine to be safe because everybody else is out to get me and things are just getting gloomy. Yeah, people are intrinsically untrustworthy. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the left keeps thinking, oh, if we just get – if we give 10% more to the schools, people will be educated and then they'll choose uh, leftist government. Even though all the (laughs) tweaks we've made to this policy have not worked yet, there is somewhere the perfect tweak. Right. If we could just find that that lost cord, that perfect tweak. The perfect tweak. And just think how – you know, what an amazing – social safety net we'd have where all would have everything they needed. That's and it, right. What a dream it would be. One more socialist in the state house and the whole house of cards will tip. There's a tipping point. We just haven't quite got it. And so having looked at government and its many incarnations over the last 2000 years. You're older than you look. I do not. Well, you know, they call me the queen ant. <laughs> He's an uh, ant queen. <laughs> I am less and less inclined to think that there's one more tweak. I don't know if this is <laughs> this is confirming your bias that as I get older I become more conservative, but I I less uh, I less and less think that one more uh, curriculum change at the community college level is going to produce a generation of wise voters. Did this change during your brush with politics? Did you go into that thing, you know, a, a, a cheery-eyed uh, young Democrat type and came out of it a sad-eyed and uh, realistic, sadder but wiser man? After all the time I was growing up adjacent to politics, what I learned is that politics is a, um, an avocation or it's a, you don't, the, the, the idea that a lot of us have that what we need is new blood we need to, the if, problem is that the politicians are not like me. That's kind yeah. of the essential ego at the core of it. Right. If every politician was like me, clearly things would be good because I'm good. And so what we need to do is elect outsiders. Well, the problem is, no, outsiders are bad for politics. The people in politics have made a lifetime of learning the ins and outs. And of course there's corruption, of course. there, But, but more than corruption, there's just an insider language. It's just, we don't say like, these bridges are ugly. We need some outsiders in there designing bridges. <laughs> we need a barista to design this bridge. Like people that decide to be engineers, bridge engineers, we're stuck with them, right? Because that's who decided to become engineers and, they, and they're the ones that design bridges. If you don't like the bridges, I mean, your option is to raise your child and send them to engineering school. but Or, you, or buy a dinghy. Or buy a dinghy, right. Or, you know, but... But so politics is exactly like that. Didn't you have a story when you were running about, um, you know, some Seattle city councilor actually telling you, you know, you look like somebody who's just going to make up your mind on each issue. And we do not want that. Yeah, That's the last thing I want. I want someone whose vote I can always predict because otherwise, how do I do my job? So all the people in politics talk about each other all the time and they gossip about each other, but they know where one another stand because they've all been in politics since they were in college, right? They, they volunteer on other people's campaigns. They're active in the local party apparatus. 
this is what they want to do and this is what they've been doing. And think how hard it would be to make decisions if suddenly that was stripped away. So he he came to me and in all confidence he was like, "You know, I'm ta- we've been talking about you everybody in the local Democrats and uh, we like you. You're a nice guy. You've got the political acumen, but you seem to think that you just are going to vote on things based on the available information and your own instinct. Weirdo. And that's really not what we're looking for. <laughs> because going into any kind of vote, you, you want to do the math. Yeah. yeah. And like, who do we, where do we direct our lobbying attention? Right. We, we need to know that four people are definitely in favor of it. Like it's, it oscillates constantly. And a lot of times you push legislation down the road and then the other party gets in and pushes it back. We've been living in a period where one of the parties is just intransigent. And now we have some young people that, but they're just pursuing a democratic agenda. It's not like anybody has arrived on the scene with some radical notion. Like the, their <laughs> radical notion is that the tax brackets should be what they were under Nixon. Yeah, exactly. What if, <laughs> what if we, you know, I mean, FDR is still the most liberal president in, in American history. I mean, some of the things that FDR proposed would make a American socialist blanch at their audacity. I don't, I don't mean to be uh, a Debbie Downer. And certainly I would never look askance at the, at the new generation of people in the left, but you also have to temper it with a little historical knowledge and say like, yeah, pendulum, it's a pendulum. Uh, you know, the pendulum's uh, complicated today by the fact that, um, you know, a certain segment of one party is kind of openly kleptocratic yeah. in a way we have not <laughs> seen in the past. Well, they're openly kleptocratic, whereas in the past it was right. just an agreed upon And I assume that that was true, right? There were always these kind of bounds of good behavior with which we were okay with our leaders fattening themselves and their pet causes and uh, constituencies. Yeah, well, pork barrel politics is the term. Right. And it was, it was a major criticism of the Democrats for most of the 20th century that they were fattening up their coffers and the unions and all their developer friends. And nobody would mind when Reagan would do a speaking tour or Obama got a fat book deal. We kind of, we kind of nodded and said, yeah, this is the well-behaved way to get rich on a career in public service. Um, yeah, and, although and it, that's not graft at the expense of the public to no, go on a speaking tour. It is not. But if, you're, if your idea is that uh, your leaders, civil servants, are somehow not in this for themselves in any way, but they're there for the good of the, the state. That's not something we require in any other job, by the way. Can you imagine? Like, I think I'm going to take this low-paying job because what the accounting industry needs is for me to be working here. I mean, no one else ever thinks that way, but we kind of assume our leaders will. I mean, and when I was running for office here, a big question is how you raise your money, where your money comes from. And there's a, on the left especially, this sense that if you take money from anyone other than mom and pop little guy, if anybody gives you money, it's in the public record, and your opponent is going to go in there and say, the guy that owns the McChicken sandwich place gave you $200. You're in service to big chicken. (laughs) And, you know. But I'm convinced by that in certain cases. You know, when you see how intransigent, for example, even the Democratic Party has been on issues that you'd think would be a no-brainer for the left, you know, to go against things that everybody hates, you know, um, about the finance industry or about, you know, executive salaries or about the whole health insurance layer of our healthcare system that makes no sense. And yet these people who have all got 
nice fat checks from these industries are saying, no, 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 we don't want to, you don't want to get rid of health and, you know, the health insurance industry, that thing everyone loves. I mean, maybe we'll provide a, some kind of public option alternative, but. And sadly, a lot of that is the, is the public face of what's effectively horse trading behind the scenes where people come and say, look, if you really were sincere about re reforming the health insurance industry, the repercussions are going to be this, 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 and this. And pretty soon all of capitalism is in flames. And so you have to, we'll agree to this, but we want this in return. And then pretty soon the guy that's standing over here has got something to say about it because that affects him. And it becomes a, a rat king of competing interests. So incrementalism is just built into the complexity of it? Because there's always somebody on the other side of wherever you draw the aisle that also has a constituency and money and authority. But you don't, you don't get the sense that things that are just ridiculously popular are not even being tried? Uh, well, I mean, for instance... Because the money that stacks up on the other side doesn't, you know, makes the... We, we, makes like, the no-brainerness seem like less of a no-brainer. We talked about this in an early episode of The Omnibus, the water rights of the West, where it's a no-brainer that the U.S. government should not be providing free water to giant farmers who are- In a desert. Who are, yeah, farming strawberries in a, in a desert, while municipalities don't have drinking water. But because of the land use- plans that were put in place a long, long time ago by people with certain interests, the simple act of removing that free water would create this cascade of broken promises that would sort of wreck the West. And none of the people in between you and the person in Los Angeles who just wants clean drinking water are going to agree to it because they all have, it's not just a finger in the pie. They that just sounds like your guy uh, wanting uh, a predictable vote on the city council. It is. Like this, this seems like it would be very, uh, make my job more difficult and make a lot of people's jobs more difficult. So instead of figuring it out, it stays the bad way. And the, and the thing is, that's what's so appealing about the idea of an authority, a king. Every person that you talk to about politics wants to be the king for a day, right? Because if you could come in and just say by fiat, I am changing this. I am starting again. I'm Hugo Chavez and I'm nationalizing uh, strawberry water. Right. The temptation is to think that that's what we need. Just somebody with the, and in America, we want somebody with the charisma to do it because we don't want to give somebody the power. So we want someone with the charisma to that, convince exactly, everyone. Exactly. The twinkle in the eye. Because <clears throat> we don't want to cede all the authority. Uh, but I mean, if you look through history, you got your, Hugo Chavez is a great example, but, but there are 100,000 examples. Yeah, this is all stuff that tends to make kleptocracy worse. When you look at list, the list of people who have personally fattened themselves most on the public coffers, they're terrible dictators. It's, uh, and the numbers are pretty astounding. Suharto in Indonesia, somewhere maybe as much as $30 billion. Um, Marco, that that Mar he stole from them. Yeah, <clears throat> Marcos. The numbers are in the billions with a B. Marcos, uh, you know, as much as twenty billion. He I mean Mobutu Sosiseko in Zaire, five billion. Vladimir Putin. I mean, depending <laughs> on how you do the math, it could be as high as two hundred billion dollars. <laughs> uh, and that's one thing in America we have a we have a lot of checks and balances that keep national politicians, at least, from profiting from the public. Although Trump, I think, is really testing. 
Yeah, it does seem like a lot of those checks and balances tended to be just mores of, of good behavior right, that they we were, were all nodding sagely about. And gentlemen's agreement. And it turns out nothing happens if you um, grant different diplomatic rights to whoever buys the most rooms in your hotel. There doesn't appear to be any law against it that it will be enforced. I read an article the other day that the military and intelligence briefers were talking to him about Diego Garcia, uh, where we have a... The island. A, an island where we have a military base down in the Indian Ocean that's pretty crucial to our whole sense of global order. And they were telling him all about this island and what the what we needed to have happen there. And his only question was, are the beaches nice? <laughs> and and the, the director of intelligence was like, I honestly think he was just thinking of it in terms of like hotel development. I thought he was going to say, Diego Garcia, can't we just deport him? <laughs> so, you know, the idea of kleptocracy and people choosing to fatten themselves at the public trough brings us to the hero of today's story, finally. Yeah. Um, well, this isn't even within the top 100 of the longest. Are we still less than half an hour in? <laughs> longest times. Apparently, according to my recording gear, we are six hours and 15 minutes into this show. Wow. There's going to be a long, long pregame, uh -huh. which is what just whatever was happening in this room at like 4 a.m. this morning. <laughs> What was, were you were you stomping through here? Um, I think I was playing swearing at raccoons. I was playing that drum kit for a while. I'm not. It could be some jamming tracks. On so that. the future is probably not listening at this point. <laughs> <laughs> honest Dick uh, was not born. Honest Dick. His name was uh, James Tate, and he was a long-serving uh, politician in the state of Kentucky in the years immediately before and then during and after the Civil War. So the middle of the 19th century. Kentucky, these are my people. Uh, in, in that you aspire to be one of their colonels? I have. Like, uh, like their ABA team? A listener uh, from the very, very distant future of Omnibus connected with me through the, through the time portals across the flat circle. The Taurus of time. And said um, that she was going to nominate me to be a Kentucky colonel in the, uh, of the future types. Uh, when Kentucky is an oceanfront state. Yeah, it's literally bluegrass. It's like the blue seaweed state. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the living, thinking, mobile bluegrass of Kentucky. <laughs> and, you know, I have connections to Kentucky, uh, family connections and, and other connections. And so... Having um, changed flights in Cincinnati does not count as other connections to Kentucky. No, no, no. I, I have deep roots there. And, uh, but then mysteriously, maybe the time portal closed, but she has not followed up on the ruling of whether or not my Kentucky colonelship is in Maybe the mail. she was just waiting for a nice check to arrive from you. She's like, uh, <coughs> Oh, it was some graft. It was some Kentucky graft. I didn't get her, her signal. James Tate was a long-serving assistant secretary of state for the state of Kentucky. And then for many years, he was like an assistant clerk to the state legislature. This the, is pre-Civil War. The House of Representatives, yeah. Start, I think starting in the 1850s. But in 1868, he was elected the treasurer of the state of Kentucky for the first time. So he was a he was one of these people from the Middle West in the mid-19th century who had no real formal education, right? He was just, he went to school in Kentucky and then became a... Sure, this was a time when even national politics could, right. be, could be run by people who... Uh, had just waved their saber at the right time during the Civil War, and suddenly you're your party's nominee for vice president, <laughs> and you never went to law school. Yeah, he had he never had graduated from high school. Seventh grade education, but now was uh, was pretty high ranking in the Kentucky Democrats. Yes, after the Civil War, the Democratic Party essentially 
controlled Kentucky politics. The Republicans were unable to make much of an inroads, you know, after Reconstruction. Popular with black voters, maybe, but but that's about it. Um, so he was able to win ten consecutive terms as a Kentucky state treasurer. Really? I didn't realize that was a... Um... Every two years, I guess. they. Oh, right. It was a two-year election. Every state has a treasurer. It's just the person in charge of the state's fiscal resources and responsibility. You know, the, the cat, not just the money on hand, but where it gets invested, who has to get paid when. Somebody has to be, you know, just like the treasurer of your debate club in high school, somebody's got to keep an eye on the books. Right. And that is James Tate. And he is just beloved. The reason he stays in office for, you know, almost 20 years is because everyone loves him. He's the nicest guy. He's popular, generous, affable, kind, you know, looks out for everybody, always willing to do a good turn, accommodating to whatever kind of favors get asked of him. Uh, he's called Honest Dick because it's believed he's above reproach. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like he's exactly the kind of charismatic political figure that people put trust in because of charisma. It really is the, who would you have a beer with? Right. And honestly, maybe you can do less harm that way, voting for president that way, than you can voting for a state treasurer. <laughs> <laughs> because maybe a good old boy is what the nation needs sometimes in the White House, but... My tax accountant never went to college, but boy, what a minch. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. It's not clear why, where the dick part comes from. I mean... He's not named Richard. No, he's James Tate, like, like, the, like the poet. But uh, it almost makes me wonder if this is a, he's one of these guys that came up with his own nickname. Oh. Did you ever have somebody, a friend who tried to get his own nickname going? A lot of kids did. My dad at one point said, you know, they used to call me Spider. <laughs> and I said, that's not true. And he said, oh yeah, I was. And I said, no, I've never heard anyone call you Spider. And it's an unlikely nickname. It's a, Is he a basketball player? He was. Let's, you know, did it come from there? He claimed it did. Long arms. He's always blocking shots. But I don't rebounds. think a single person ever said, hey, Spider. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> he wanted that yeah, so much. Yeah, he did. Oh, it would be a great nickname. Spider. Spider. Although it's not really a great nickname. Must stop. Spider. Did, did you have nicknames? Uh, I never tried to get a nickname But did people try to myself. put one on you? What were, what were the nicknames? That I can't, I can't think of a nickname. Ken is a nickname. I was called sure. Kenneth for much of my, for my entire youth, basically. Um, cause my dad was already Ken. So just for ease of, Kenneth. Uh, ease of use. 
I may start doing that. I was that. the last person in America named Kenneth. <laughs> I may start calling you Who was Kenneth. not Chinese American. Because you are super Kenneth. Really? What is, what is Kenneth? Kenneth sounds like an irritating British man who knows, uh, who goes out to watch the trains. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or, or someone in short pants, like Knickers, who's, <laughs> uh, who knows a bunch of trivia. Well, what nickname would you, if you could get any nickname to catch on? No one has ever succeeded in getting a nickname to really attach to me. I call you J-Rod all the time. People do say J-Rod. People say Hot Rod. Um, that sounds like what you would try to get going in no, high school. No, no, no. My, my, uh, my high school nickname was... Spider Junior. Some kids, and they were a year older than me. They were seniors when I was a junior. Uh, they were like wordplay theater kids. And one... I love wordplay theater. I know. One day I came into a history class and this group of boys in the back of the room uh, said, hey, it's uh, Rip Roarin' Rad Dog Radically Rockin' Reeferin' Roderick. You still know it. Because they memorized it and said it every day for the rest of the year. Let's go through them one at a time. Which of those are true? Rip Roaring, are Rad you? Dog, Radical Rockin', Righteously, Rascalin', Reefer, and Roderick. It's getting That's what longer. It was. Yeah. So were you Rip Roaring at the time? Scale of uh, one to 10. I think I would have. I think I hoped to be. I thought that was pretty flattering. Were you a Rad Dog? I was absolutely a Rad Dog. What's the next one? Rascally? And so, so it got shortened to Rad Dog. And a lot of people in my high school called me Rad Dog, which I thought was a great... 80s. That's a dream come ski true. Ski dude nickname. I actually had Rad Dog engraved in my skis. <laughs> uh, you didn't get a tattoo, luckily. No, no, no. But Rad Dog is what what it settled on. So Rip Roaring, I well, yeah maybe Rad Dog Radical. Yeah, I was Radical. Were you referring? I was rocking. I was rascally, but I wasn't referring. I didn't smoke pot until after I graduated from high school. So no, they were, they, they assumed I they was reframed because of your laid back ski, get skied rad dog. That's right. Tood. People assumed I was good with girls too, because I had a, none of the nicknames refer to that no. unless you left out that because it's no longer acceptable in society. Whatever are thing they, <laughs> they, they had you doing to the <laughs> Whatever women, are. The, the women of Anchorage. No, they, they, these guys were theater dudes. So they weren't thinking in those terms. Although I guess theater people probably have sex with each other all the time. That's one of the main advantages of joining the high school theater. It's the only reason you do something like band right? or you're, whatever. You're in a dark room. Because it's all a debauched Olympic village of, <laughs> of just broken toys. Big velvet curtains and <laughs> ropes. And costume, you know, costume changes on the sly. My son has a friend named Teddy who has been trying to get Theo going, I guess, for years because oh. he's outgrown Teddy and no one will do it. He's Teddy. Because once you're Teddy, no one's going to Theo you. He needs to move. And start over. I'm Theo. That's what you do. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Theo. Well, if you move, you can do anything you want. That's how I finally went from Kenneth to Ken. I just had to go to college. Problem solved. I, uh, every John in my family, and I have two uncles named John, and John's all the way back. Uh, at, at a certain point, when they became adults, they switched to Jack. They became Jack. And I think when I was little, when I was little, my people called me John John. And I thought there would be a transition moment when I would switch to Jack, but no one made it happen. And I didn't think to. Did and, the, are you still John John to people? Uh, do, they, they, do they think you're the political future? The real old ones call me John John. But I feel like the day that I went on Twitter, if I had just gotten Jack Roderick <laughs> instead of John Roderick, that was your last best chance. I would be Jack. Everybody would know me as Jack. I could have just made the switch or, you know, when I released my first album, if I had just called myself John 
Jack Roderick. It would have been no rock. No rock uh, star has ever had something in quotes between their first and last name. I yeah, think it's yeah. that's a that's probably a good move. If not it to had do been that. Ripper, like John Ripper <laughs> Owens, <laughs> yeah, it's like Spinal Tap members have yeah. that basically. No, front men do not. But yeah, I missed my chance. Like I'll, I'll never be Jack now. No one will ever call me Jack. And James Tate is always called Honest Dick in accounts of his story. Although that may be in light of what happened after. We we prefer the irony, or maybe. We just prefer a good honest dick. Honest know. dick, yeah. Um, well, it, it, it's a nice, it resonates against tricky dick. Exactly. Richard what if Nixon. we had had honest dick? Um, <laughs> what if we had had honest dick? Think how different our lives would have been. If you had had honest dick, <laughs> your life would be very different. I don't know if mine would be different. Uh, yeah, your, your high school nickname might have been different. Uh, he was, so he was a fixture of Kentucky politics, just being in state treasurer longer than Anyone. He's, he's Methuselah, basically. The Louisville Courier-Journal in 1886. And by the way, I was just noticing this. We're living in the last time where I can mention these old-timey papers, and they still exist. There's still a Methuselah-Journal? No, there's still a... Lu- <laughs> the Louisville Courier-Journal. Oh, right. isn't, isn't that still the Louisville paper? I think so, although it might all be 100% online. The, the, we have just shocked any future laying by... Or is it, is it owned by McClatchy? Yeah, that means it'll be gone in a week. Yeah, so nowadays you mentioned the you know, New Orleans Times-Picayune story of 1808, and that's a paper that still exists. And very soon, uh, all papers will sound equally old-timey, except for you know, the Times and the Post. <laughs> the, the Seattle Post-Intelligencer survived until 2008 or whatever. It's and still I, online with two employees <laughs> making listicles somewhere. <laughs> They're living inside the spinning globe. I miss it. I miss cranking it. Cranking out listicles on their MacBooks. Uh, in 1886, the Courier Journal wrote, there may not be another earthquake in Kentucky for 20 years, but no doubt the next one come when it may, we'll find dictate still holding the office of state treasurer. Oh, dictate. Oh. Maybe that's why he became. I, I can't imagine. No? I can't imagine. You don't think they were wordplay into wordplay theater? I, in, think, they, uh, <laughs> I think they were, but I, I don't think that's how you get a nickname. Uh, and in 1887, the paper poked fun at his long term of office, jokingly telling readers, that uh, Tate had served under Andrew Jackson during the War of 1812 and had helped win the Battle of New Orleans. He's a great old man and deservedly popular. So he, you know, he's just everybody's friend. Um, and in fact, uh, the Encyclopedia of Kentucky, which came out at that time, maybe the first edition. <laughs> I have I have do, the first edition do you, here. Do, do you still get the yearly update? <laughs> yeah. You turned yeah. quickly to the colonel's entry and then your face little, falls. Oh, another year. Uh, you know, contemporary to the period, the Encyclopedia of Kentucky claimed that the Democrats actually owed him a lot of their dominance in politics. It hmm. wasn't just baked in post-Civil War advantage. It really was. Uh, that he was a master. he was just beloved. I see. Um, and he was kind of the face of the party. So his, his influence is outsized just for a, a state treasurer. Can you name the state treasurer of Washington State? I can. Oh, I should be able to. You just, you just don't even know. The U.S. has a treasurer, right? Isn't their signature still on money? Is that still a thing? The Secretary of the Treasury. No, the Secretary of the Treasury and the Treasurer. Their, oh, really? their signatures both used to appear on the money. Oh, but I think no more. Oh, no, they're both there. I just pulled out a $5 bill, and the Secretary of the Treasury is 2013, who was, uh, who was Obama's Secretary of the Treasury. But yes. you can read the Treasurer of the United States on the other side, Ross Boomtastic Rios. Well, the, it is now... There's no uh, way his middle name is Boomtastic. It is now a woman, Jovita... Carranza. The treasurer of the United States? Is the treasurer of the United States. I'm trying to read who this is. Ross. Since, uh, is it really Ross Rios? April 2017. Jovita oh. Carranza. It's often a woman. Uh, I've noticed when I look at money, the treasurer is often a woman. I don't know if that's 
tradition or if it's well, no, kind of a, look. a bone that gets thrown because the guy wants the cabinet level position or... Well, no, you're absolutely correct. It has We have had a female treasurer going all the way back to uh, the last male treasurer was under Harry Truman. Really? Uh, this is absolutely an episode of the omnibus. Yeah, we should definitely not do this now. Harry Truman appointed the first female treasurer of the United States, and it has been a woman ever since. Once you found out they were doing a better job. And in fact, an African-American woman was the treasurer under Jimmy Carter. Well, Rosa, it does not say boomtastic. It says Guma Tau Tau, which is uh, oh, so Latino, her, apparently. Yeah, Rios. Her last Rosa name Rios, is Rios. So it's apparently been a, a Latino woman for a couple of years. If, if the current, if Well, so Jovita Carranza... What a wonderful Bef- phrase. Before that is Rosa Rios. And before that was Anna Cabral, Anna Escobedo Cabral. So, and then before that, Rosario Marin or Marin. There's a, a segment, an important segment of the U.S. government that's just permanently run by Latino women. Yes. I love this. This is, and then Mary Ellen Withrow before that. Oh, and before her. The last wasp, Mary Ellen. That's a perfect last wasp name. Well, except, let me look. But before that, Catalina Vasquez Villa Ipando. Are we thinking Mary Ellen Withrow is going to be an African-American woman? No, but well, let me see. Uh, she looks like Barbara Bush in this picture, so. She does a little. She, she was Clinton's uh, treasurer. He, he like broke the mold by not having a Latina. There are a lot of, indi- oh, I'm sure he had a Latina. There, oh. there are a lot of. In- Where's my bell? <laughs> there are a lot of industries where women get locked into particular jobs just by tradition. And it's, you know, and that's kind of what shows you that that's what keeps them out of other jobs, just failure of imagination. Like uh, for many years in Hollywood, every movie was shot and designed and whatever by a man, but it would be edited by a woman. All the oh. great film editors. I think that's women. still true. A lot of the a lot of the great editors are women. Yeah, and I, and clearly the women could do all those jobs, the other jobs as well. So it's just you know there was one avenue to success that the patriarchy would allow, and they were like, "Fine, I'll be a woman. Or, I'll be a woman. I'll be a film Fine. editor. Fine. And, <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be a woman. I was born a film editor. That was my pronoun, <laughs> and I've decided to also be. A woman. Why are we talking about this? Oh, right. Because he's the state treasurer for many years. Right. Uh, he's a great old man and deservedly popular, which is what the newspaper says. Uh, and the Encyclopedia of Kentucky says, it would seem that his lease on the office might be regarded as a fixed fact. So nobody can even imagine a version of Kentucky without this beloved good old boy, honest dictate, um, holding the purse strings. But in the 1887 election, the Democratic Party has its first real scare. Their nominee is uh, Simon Bolivar Buckner, Old Bolivar, <laughs> who apparently was born at the exact right year for his parents to be very into the stories of Simone Bolivar liberating South America. Uh, so, I'm, yeah, so uh, that's something we don't do anymore. Yeah, white, kinda... wh- white kids being named after great Spanish or Latin American uh, leaders, but it was not infrequent in the early days of the When, when your Republic. son, Hugo Chavez uh, <laughs> Jennings, was born, it may have been the last incident. Yeah, I, pr- I probably pulled the trigger too fast on that. I was like, yes, the great hope of socialism is alive in the Western Hemisphere. Little Hugo, I name you after him, but it didn't go well. So Simon Bolivar Buckner is a Civil War Hero, but he's running against a real spellbinder, a great orator, William O. Douglas, kind of the, the uh, rising star of the Rep- Kentucky Republican Party. William O. Douglas. We'll hear from him later. And, oh, I misspoke. It is not future Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas. 
Right. He that was, was just from, muscle memory. He was from Minnesota. It's William O. Bradley was their young rising star. Ah, William O. Bradley. And, uh, you know, so he's running in this overwhelmingly democratic state. So what do you do if you're, if you're the other party? He runs on kind of a good government ticket. Right. He's not interested in the, these divisive issues. He just wants to tell you that these fat cats have been in power too long. Sure, he's here to clean up Washington. He's going to drain the swamp. He's going to clean up Frankfurt, Kentucky. <laughs> drain the swamp of Frankfurt. And so that's what his campaign becomes. Why do we need this new Department of Agriculture? And why do we need all these new railroad commissioners and this fancy new penitentiary? Here, here. You know, all this mismanagement is actually causing a brain drain, he says. Huzzah! All these gifted young colonels are, are draining out of the state and becoming... Ohio colonels and Virginia colonels. Mm, rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. <laughs> and this becomes very hard for Douglas to, for Douglas, for Buckner, Old Bolivar to re, uh, refute because it's, it's largely true. The Democratic Party uh, has been in power too long and they're kind of, even within the party, a lot of people are saying, yeah, this, this guy's not wrong. Buckner's not a great candidate. Buckner knows Bradley's a better speaker and even refuses to debate him. At their only debate, he says, uh, are you the one that says that somebody else has been writing my speeches? And Bradley's like, yeah, everybody's saying that. And he's like, that's a scurrilous claim and I refuse to share the stage, blah, blah, blah. And then he never debates the guy again. Which is, <laughs> which is pretty genius. Good job. So uh, uh, old Bolivar narrowly wins the election, but he, Bradley has cemented in Kentucky's view this idea that uh, something is amiss in Frankfurt and uh, we need to start looking under the rug and seeing what kind of dust has been swept there. Incidentally, this is the exact same. Buckner, uh, the old Bolivar's term as governor, is marked by two uh, terrible furors, one over on a stick as we shall see, but the other is the Hatfields and the McCoys. Oh, no kidding. He was governor during their, uh, when their feud turned bloody over in the, I guess, eastern part of the state. Yeah, and that was, that made a big enough stir that it it uh, it moved the political needle. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's going to be in the omnibus for sure. We have not done the Hatfields and the McCoys. Um but the legislature agrees to this idea that comes out of the election, which is we need an audit. Let's show that everything's above board. So they tell Honestick, hey, we're going to audit the books. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, let's uh, give me a couple uh, weeks just to get everything in order. So they're not auditing it because they've found any irregularities. They're just doing it as like a— It's uh, become a political football. A spring cleaning. But there, and, and there does appear to be some belief, even on the Democratic side, that, uh, yeah, we could use— some double checking of, huh. of how government is running. I think the, the Democratic Party may be divided. Not everybody thinks Buckner is a great governor. Old Bolivar is a great governor. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they said Bolivar. Hard to say. There's no way they said Simon Bolivar Buckner. But did they say Simon Bolivar? Simon Bolivar? Simon Bolivar sounds like a Dickens character. <laughs> so they agree to postpone the audit. And then, but the legislature keeps insisting. He's like, I'm just going to need a couple more months. Tate keeps making excuses. And, Nobody minds because he's on a stick. Right. Uh, finally, in March 88, a very persistent legislator forms the audit commission, sends them to Frankfurt. And they get to the Capitol to find that Honest Dick is not there. Mm -hmm. And when inquiries were made, a clerk remembers having not seen him for the last week. I'm listening. Uh, the clerk saw Honest Dick a week before, holding a large roll of bills, stuffing a coin purse in his pocket, and dragging two large tobacco sacks filled with cash and coin. Hmm. He said he was going to be going to Louisville on business and left a note uh -huh. saying he'd be back in two days. Seems reasonable. Now, uh, you, this seems reasonable to you. And anybody else perhaps would be suspicious in this situation. But we're talking about honest dick here. But it's honest dick. So nobody can complain about this guy who is literally stuffing his pockets 
with cash and coins as he leaves the as well, he leaves the the treasurer's office. And this was a time when it was almost exclusively a cash economy in a lot of these places. Yeah, you said right? there was no Scrooge McDuck vault, but the state of Kentucky did have a vault. Right. And cash would go in and out, gold and silver would go in and out. It's not like you just direct deposited your paycheck and and immediately started PayPaling all your creditors. There are investments and I'm sure there, you know, there's not everything's in There were uh, checks. Yeah, there's ch- there's checks there, and then there's you know, there's pension funds and other things to administer that are not just money in a room. But there's money, a, money there's, in a tobacco sack. But there's a ton of money <laughs> in a room apparently with purses and tobacco sacks at the ready. And when he has not come back uh, from Louisville after the two days and people start asking questions, they remember some facts which are a little bit suggestive. For Mm. example, he had a large family which always seemed to enjoy a very nice lifestyle. Right. Even his extended relatives, even his son-in-law, who is apparently famous as a scapegrace and a mountebank. Oh, dear. You were a scapegrace and a mountebank yourself. I was in high school. When you were Rip Roar and Rad Dog. Radical, rockin', righteously rascal, and reefer and Roderick. Uh, yeah. He Re- was a reportedly mount- reefer and he Roderick. Was a, he was a mountebank. <laughs> that guy was a ne'er-do-well. But, you know, it could be that they were just uh, frugal and, and managed their money well. Sure. When a cop's wife suddenly has a fur coat and he's got a new car, it doesn't mean he's on the take. It doesn't mean he did the Lufthansa job. No, he's just been saving up. (laughs) Uh, People remembered that he was enormously generous. The thing everybody loved about him was that he'd do anything you wanted, including give you a large loan anytime you wanted money. See, now that's where he got the name Honest Dick. That's where, uh, yeah, of course he's honest. He's giving me money. The audit finds that even Governor Leslie, the former governor of the state of Kentucky, Got $5,000 from Honest Dick in 1872 and gave him a little IOU chit. There you go. Kentucky is apparently full of people who have these have given these IOU chits uh-huh. to, to James Honest Dick Tate. Well, see, now we're seeing how politics works, right? Because <laughs> none of those people are going to come out against Yeah, it's Honest weird Dick. how the governor, the governor was never like, where's she getting this 5000 I don't know. Doesn't matter. Uh, and then we start to see people whispering dirty words like, Peculation and oh defalcation. Oh dear. These, These were are dirty words. Popular 19. 19- Have you ever committed peculation or defalcation with, no. a, with a minor? No, I've seen it done. <laughs> Those are 19th century terms for embezzlement, which are delightful to me. Peculation and defalcation. And uh, when the Audit Commission actually takes a look at the books, they find that the treasurer's office is in shambles. Oh dear. There's essentially no demarcation in the defalcation between. Honest Dick's private finances and the state of Kentucky. He appears to have treated it all as one large pool. Like the vault of the state has his family effects in it. Uh, Whoa. One of, one of the assets in the vault is a little coin purse filled with gold and silver that it's clear belongs to a deceased child from the Tate family. And it's just sitting in the vault. <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't have a sense of how big the treasurer's office of the state of Kentucky in the mid-19th century would be. Like square footage or a number of employees? Number or? of employees. Like how many clerks are there? Or? Yeah, he has clerks under him. But I guess he's honest dick saying, no, 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 no. The books are fine. Uh, you don't get my system or I've made another private arrangement or it's all going to. Right. He had also invested some of this public money in uh, just kind of crazy ventures that didn't work out. Patent Wild, medicine. Wildcat stocks, uh, uh, mining mostly. I think that was kind of the patent medicine oh, yeah. time. Mining and real estate speculation. Yep, yep. So a lot of his speculations were speculations. And maybe he would have fattened his own coffers on them as well. Uh, but maybe he's just uh, on a stick and he doesn't 
he's a good old boy who doesn't see much of a difference. What's good for the goose what, is good what, for the gander. What's good for General Motors is good for the gander. Yeah. As the old saying goes. Sure. You can see this throughout politics, even, uh, even unto today. Once you get someone that's effective in office who seems to be seemingly effective. Yeah. Seems to be representing the interests of your, of the state or your constituency. Boy, it's a lot harder to question their integrity because they spread it around. I mean, I think that's the mafia method too, right? Everybody gets a taste. And so, so the boss stays in power. Do we think that, uh, he's a mafioso on purpose or is he just such a good guy that all his worst impulses once given money and power? I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to think about honest Dick. Like, uh, it go, it kind of, well, in part, it goes back to this age old question of like, how bad would I be given the opportunity? Like I think of myself as a good person and I've certainly never done any serious speculations or defalcations of any kind, but, uh, have I just never been mad at somebody to throw the swing? Have I never been mad enough to them near a cliff to push them off? Have I never badly had a you know family emergency where I needed the money at the same time as I was a custodian for just the right amount of, that I'm sure I would pay back before people found out? Well, the, I, I feel like money in particular and state money is, um, they're kind of unreal or fantastical, right? It's not like this guy had a MBA from Thunderbird School of Global Management. He was a guy with a seventh grade education who suddenly was, you know, money in, money out. Things needed to get paid and for. This is my job to right. pay for things. The governor, governor needs 5,000 bucks. Sure, I'm the treasurer. And so when something comes across his desk, it's like, we need a turnpike. He's like, here's the money. And then somebody else says, we need to, you know, we could make a bunch of money speculating in silver mining without a without a really clear basis in financial understanding, he, you could see just a, a, a layman not knowing the distinctions and not understanding what the public trust is. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Even if he gets into the trouble honestly, he is certainly dishonest by the time he's well into it or, yeah, or once he realizes there's a problem. During his last few months in office, he started paying for everything statewide in checks. Right, he's dog paddling. Even uh, transactions that would have been in cash previously. And again, super suspicious. Alarm bell should have gone off, but he's honest, Dick. So, he, and he knows. And, and you know, the fact that it's all these speculative ventures means that he probably thought he could do very well for himself as well. The total bill turns out to be $247,000 in 1888 American dollars. Which is 
the factor is somewhere in the order of 30 times when you take inflation into account. So that's- Millions. That's six or seven million dollars huh, uh-huh, today. Uh-huh. Uh, but still- like, And his $5,000 check for the governor is $150,000 or more, $200,000. But when you think about the scale of graft in our modern time, seven million dollars, I mean, I guess people still embezzle seven million dollars from their, their father's trucking company, but there are swindlers- of our era who have swindled in the billions. Sure. You, you need to add many more zeros. Hard to imagine that 7 million would, you, you, absconding with that would be enough to like live the rest of your life. But no, I, I suppose I could live on 7 million. Do you think if you, really, if you really cut back, <laughs> you cut back on your jeans budget and your guitar pick budget and your old postcard budget, how long do you think you could stretch out the 7 million? I think I could make 7 million last until my dying day. There are a surprising number of people who think, I saw you win a couple million dollars on TV, Ken. Like, you must have just You're bought an island and disappeared. <laughs> Although, weirdly, a surprising number of people now who think, again, that money is a fantasy. I've had conversations with fully grown adult people who have said, when the lottery hits 50 million, they're like, well, I mean, if you won that, it's not like you would be rich. Oh, it's people who have bounced too far back the other way. Yeah. They're like, I mean, 50 million. 50 million's not what it was. I mean, it's not worth like buying a lottery ticket because ugh, it's not like it's not like 500 million. The rule of thumb that's often used in financial planning is you can use 4% of your of your net worth for um you can count on 4% of interest every year and that's, you know, for 100 years that would keep you safe and never touch the principal basically. Right. Um, 4% in a, in a permanent way. So 4% of 50 million only gives you $2 million a year income. So you can see where you'd have to scrimp. I mean, it's not your, you wouldn't be rich. You'd just be comfortably middle-class. Well, in America, nobody's rich. Everybody's comfortably. Did you hear, did you see Howard Schultz of Starbucks saying that he doesn't like the word billionaire? Yeah. He wishes people would say. People of means. People of means. (laughs) (laughs) Wealth adjacent. (laughs) People of means. Just the idea, the nerve that that he doesn't want people to, you know, I need a euphemism for the fact that I have this insane, sick amount of money. Yeah. To be called rich is really uh, discriminatory. What a mean thing to say to (laughs) poor Howard Schultz. I mean, you know, that whole misunderstanding where he moved to the basketball team, I'll forgive him. You mean our future president of the United States, Howard Schultz? Yeah. Sorry. uh, If you're listening to this in the future and President Schultz still has his iron grip on power, I'll hail President Schultz. (laughs) Venti, venti, venti. <laughs> so uh, despite what he had claimed, James Tate never went to Louisville. It was the classic um, leave a note to the place you're not going. Like when they turned the, you turn a sign the other way on, on Hanna-Barbera Laugh Olympics so that they'll follow your trail the wrong way. Right. He had actually taken a train to Cincinnati, not even telling his wife and family, I think, or at least having left them behind. Cincinnati, the Capital of Kentucky. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Let's be honest. Just across the river. Um, so he's dragging his tobacco sacks full of money. You know, I can, you can imagine the bill spilling out as he hops aboard the train. His family was very ill-treated in his absence, which is why I think maybe they did not know what was going to happen. Oh, so he just abandoned his wife and kids? Abandoned his wife and kids. And Kentucky is shook. Um, it's only $7 million. But first of all, um, I'm sure budgets are smaller back then. That's a pretty big deal. And second of all, it's Honest Dick of all people, the the beloved face of the Democratic Party for almost 20 years. He ruined the nickname Honest for centuries. He ruined the nickname Dick. Dick used to be good. People used to love Dick. Yeah. 
the the newspapers uh, reported it this way. Such a flash of light and a peal of thunder as was never before seen or heard came out of a clear sky. Well, they were- As nothing had done since There was an awful lot of hyperbole in 19th century (laughs) newspapers. Yeah, that's the least uh, hyperbolic sentence in that paper, probably. Incidentally, the the Kentucky Courier is owned by Gannett. Oh, so it's, it's got a week left. They've, they've probably offered a hundred people buyouts, like since we've been doing this show, like this episode of the show. Um, so he's removed from office in absentia. He's criminally indicted on, I think, four different counts of various kinds of defalcation and peculation. It turns out he, he his office was bonded hmm. uh, for $300,000, oh. more than he had spent. Um, two rich Kentucky colonel types whose net worth, total net worth was a lot more than that. Right. And he had lent out a lot of that money to other people. So his story, you know, the, the stories that have been told about his generosity were not untrue. People hastened to come forward before they were found out to say, he gave me, you know, $10,000 back in the 1870s or whatever. Oh, so, so, so it was a spider web of, of indebtedness. Yeah. And the state begins recouping a lot of this money from people coming forward and saying, oh, well, I still have this uh, chit from, from Tate, but it's a political catastrophe for the Buckner administration for old Bolivar for the Democratic Party. The word for political corruption in Kentucky becomes Tatism. Oh, Tatism. <sighs> More Tatism That's again. Still a thing you can accuse someone of in local <laughs> politics. I prefer he's to say tatist. I prefer to say he's tatially charged. <laughs> uh, in eighteen in 18- terrible. You should be uh, keel hauled for some of your puns. In eighteen ninety one, the Kentucky Constitution is even uh, overhauled to uh, institute term limits, just because the idea is he turned bad because he was in for so long. Oh, this is this is famous about Kentucky that they had term limits into the 90s, like they radical did. term Yeah, limits. like uh, you couldn't even be governor twice in a row, right? right? One uh, term. Until 92, I think. And what do you think about that, by the way? You're, if you're a fan of the professional politician, term limits are your enemy, right? Well, I mean, that's the thing. You lose institutional memory. Uh, what you gain is, a, I, I mean, I guess a political class of neophytes. And what you lose is anybody that knows. Yeah, how, imagine working somewhere where essentially all your managers have to change. I think the I think every the the mistaken premise is that new people from outside are honest and not able to be corrupted by special interests, and that's just a fallacy, right? It, new. That's my my assumption is that's an illusion. Yeah, it right. Is. That uh, just because that given somebody, the opportunity, nobody, almost nobody, will say. No, no, tut, tut. I, I turn my face away from your briefcase of money. And most people that, that are noobs in government come from an industry or an area which is affected by government. So somebody from the trucking industry who is tired of regulation decides to run for office because they have this firsthand experience of government and it's bad. And on the other side of the aisle, you have people that are in advocacy uh, and activism who run for government because they're constantly on the activist side, you know, combating government. I'm not going to both sides that, though. If we have the chance, choice between a coal lobbyist running the EPA or an environmental activist, that's not a tough call for me. No, it's not. But you find that the hog trading or the horse trading happens both ways. Sure. And, and, ne- and neither up- will be good at their job. Yeah. yeah. Neither will be good at the job is exactly right. Yeah. So the state of Kentucky finds itself out only $40,000 and they decide not even to, the, the state Supreme Court, I think, rules that the, the bondsmen are not going to be legally liable for Tate's defalcation. I guess they found some fine print that got them out of it. 
But they do issue a, so they're on the hook for $40,888. They issue a $5,000 bond for his arrest, but he is gone. His family tells everyone that they have received word that he's committed suicide overseas in, in shame, oh. as one should do. Um, oh, sure. If you're going to commit suicide overseas, it should be in shame. I was going to say, if reasons. you're going to be ashamed overseas, you should commit suicide. Hmm, I think if you're going to... What's the, what's the third option? Commit, Which one do we leave out? If you're going to commit shame... If you you're going to shamefully commit suicide, you should leave the country first, right? <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> uh, but uh, his family later admits they actually received four letters from him oh. from four different countries. He uh, was in stu British... Stuffed full of uh, coin. <laughs> right. Uh, all the letters were in tobacco sacks. He was in British Columbia. Then he was in San Francisco. Then Famous graft hideouts. It's really, really are. These are the places you would go. Yeah. The, you know, some, the waterfront of San Francisco bothering a coolie for a ride across, you know, across the Pacific. He's in Japan. He's in China. In 1890, the New York Times reports that he has died in China on yeah. very flimsy reporting. Those would have been exciting times to be in China if you had a, a tobacco sack full of cash. Oh, sure. I mean, like, that's, that's like somebody today who decides just to, you know, I have my one million because I sold my uh, storage locker business. I'm going to live like a king in Costa Rica. Right. People do. My sister-in-law... Apparently, Mindy's sister is combing the world, uh, looking for a place where she and her husband can just like retire at uh, fifty. They're they're um, they're high school teachers, but they think if they find the right part of Malta or uh, I don't know if Malta's the place, but you, oh, you're 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 Malta skeptical. I'm a little skeptical. I like how you have a theory about this, and it's not Malta. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Malta, Ken. I feel you like have access, John Subentry. <laughs> There are a lot of, I bet if you went right now, there are a lot of websites devoted to this idea. Like how do I, on a teacher's yeah, retirement. Where in Slavonia? Or yeah. Slavonia? Yeah, a, sure, a, Slavonia. A fake country? Where yeah. in Slovenia? Slobovia. We're in, we're in lower <laughs> Slobovia. Where in Portugal? Right. Is the weather nice and the eats cheap? That's what it is. People also want to live like kings in those places. They don't want to move somewhere cold and live in a, in a shack. They want to live on a beach and have somebody bring them drinks. They want also socialized European health care. Right. Even though you think it would shake up the stack too much. <laughs> no, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that in some Polynesian archipelago that the healthcare is free and college is free. It's all all the drinks gets, are free. You get stitched up with shark teeth yeah. instead of sutures. It's paid for with money out of a tobacco sack. No one knows where the sack <laughs> came from. This weathered old sack that says Bank of Kentucky. It's uh, seven years later after his purported death. The New York Times reports again that now he's planting coffee in Brazil. I don't oh. know. If, I don't know if they issued a correction. Oh. And he, it, he rolled the rock back uh, from his cave. <laughs> and stretches. <laughs> oh, I'm not dead yet. Let me go get my tobacco sack. Uh, he, uh, according to the New York Times story, he has even returned to the States, brazenly coming back for the, uh, joining a delegation for the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. Harumph, harumph. He's going to, you know, he'll flee, but he's not going to miss a World's Fair. Rhubarb. He's not insane. Uh, his daughter at this time wants him declared dead. Right. Uh, oh, you're not surprised. Uh, well, no, because she would then be absolved of the besmirchment of her, what? She's not like she inherited You think, you, you think she's taking some kind of, uh... She wants him declared dead so she can get on with her life. <laughs> she also has a life insurance policy. Oh, there it is. <laughs> and in 1898, a, a Kentucky court obliges and issues a death certificate. Oh. And she gets her money. Um... The account in the Encyclopedia of Kentucky <laughs> reads, Tate was never again seen by a Kentuckian. <laughs> <laughs> which I guess would be the most reliable kind of witness. He was very popular in Honduras. 
uh, he, they're silent on whether an Ohioan or a Tennessean might have seen him, but right. uh, you know, you know who you would trust is a is a Kentuckian. Uh, and unless they, they promise you they'll get you a Kentucky colonelship, in which case, I would I would caution restraint. But this is the classic, or was he? Um, because uh, in 1897, I guess the same year that the New York Times said he was planting coffee in Brazil, uh, a former senator N.W. Utley. Uh, remember something unusual that happened to him a decade ago when he was in Japan as a mm. Methodist missionary. Mm. He was uh, he was crisscrossing the country, seeing the sights. He was at a, a hot springs in Nikko, and he was at the port of Yokohama, and he was at the, the beautiful old capital of Kyoto. And in all of them, he kept running across the same person uh, by chance, an elderly gentleman, somewhat careworn and burdened, who said he was a uh, an American who had been living uh, late uh, of late in Canada. So a Canadian hyphen American gentleman. And they hit it off famously and would smoke manila cigars in their hotel rooms together of an evening. And uh, Utley, a Kentuckian himself, was surprised to find out how knowledgeable this careworn gentleman was about the history and affairs of the great state of Kentucky. But he was a, he was a Kentuckian, but did not know the story of Honest Dick. Surely yeah. he would have been versed in this. <laughs> Honest Dick, I don't know who that is, but he sounds very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Tateism. <laughs> I don't think I don't know if Utley ever asked him about Tate or if he remembered that in hindsight. Hmm. But in 1897, because um, this wasn't that much longer. No, this was this would have been immediately after yeah. his his departure from from the the shores of landlocked Kentucky. Right. But in 1897, when the daughter was following her insurance suit, uh, Utley had uh, opportunity to see the letters the family had produced from Tate in Japan, and one apparently had come from the resort at Nikko, and one had come from Yokohama, and one had come from Kyoto. And looking at his notes, Utley is surprised the dates match exactly oh. when he had seen his own Kentuckian gentleman in those exact three cities in the exact order. Huh. So he may have been the last Kentuckian ever to set eyes on the elusive honest dick. And uh, when he wrote his account for the newspapers, uh, he took a very uh, benign view of this pecuniator and defalcator and embezzler. Look, I'm not going to both sides this, Ken. I think honest dick is dishonest. You are against peculation in I all am. of its forms. Thank you for taking a stand. Yeah, well, this is my chance <laughs> to... Plant a flag. I want to be, on for the record, that embezzling $7 million <laughs> from the state of Kentucky is not something you should no. consider under most circumstances. I, I, I find it disagreeable. Have you ever, in fact, embezzled $7 million from the state of Kentucky? I am, no, I'm not an embezzler. I used to do the books uh, for some businesses where I worked, and I was very proud that I was, that my books were tight and clean. I mean, there is some satisfaction in fleeing to the Far East with tobacco sacks full of money, but there's another kind of satisfaction that comes in getting a column of figures in a ledger to come out exactly right. Oh, so perfect. It's hard to say for uh, someone like me, which even is more satisfying. I have a, a real fantasy about absconding to the East with uh, sacks full of money, but it's always in a no country for old men context where I steal the wealth it, from, from someone worse, from baddies. Right. Right. Um, and it's hard to say that the Kentucky taxpayer of the 1880s. I'm sure they were awful on a lot of axes. They were but, terrible, but yeah. But, you, but it's not a drug deal gone wrong. They gave you that money in good faith. Uh, but by the 1890s, um, Senator Utley, perhaps because you know he's a product of the spoils system himself. Uh, this is all after the Pendleton Act, by the way. The, the federal government's been largely reformed and you can no longer just give money and jobs freely to uh, anyone you like. Um, supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> 
But Utley appears to turn a blind eye to Honest Dick's, perhaps, an alleged pecuniations. Pecuniations? Now I'm just making up words. That's nice. I like it. Peculations. Pecuniary peculations. He calls him one of nature's towering noblemen. Oh. Whose generosity and bounding fellowship had proved the wreck and ruin of his life. Wow. He was a victim, you see, of his own good spirit and and goodwill toward his fellow men. I was probably the last Kentuckian to grasp his hand and look into his eye. This is a little rich, considering he didn't know who he was. A hand and eye which lapsed into stillness and darkness as that of a fugitive. Dear heaven. Mixed metaphor. Yet, a hand that had never been raised, but at the behest of a generous impulse. Well, well. And an eye from which there had never escaped one glance of envy, avarice, or malice. I wonder if the if people will eulogize Bernie Madoff the same way. <laughs> and a hand that had never been raised but to write a bouncing check. And that concludes entry 596.ex0288. Certificate number 23471 in the omnibus. Futurelings in the unlikely event that social media still survives into your time. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram all were cesspools, swamps. And yet they outlived the Louisville Courier-Journal. Sad but true. And we are in there, creatures of the swamp. I am an albino alligator who is maladapted to live in the dark waters. I am a uh, yawning possum dangling from above (laughs) by my tail. Uh, You can find our tweets at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick, at Omnibus Project. At Jack Roderick. Are you going to go get that one? At John Raddog. I'm sure there's a Jack Roderick. Reportedly referring Roderick. I should have done at John Raddog Roderick. Maybe that is still there. Well, you need to get it right now before this time capsule gets unearthed. Uh, you can email us at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Ken will almost certainly answer your email eventually. You can go to our fan group, Omnibus Futurelings, on Facebook, uh, where a very, very active and hilarious merry band trades recipes and sacks full of tobacco sacks full of cash. Currently stories of overdue library books. Mm-hmm. And... Laughing at me because I called Charles Darwin Charles Dickens. Turns out they're two different people. Lol. Who knew? Hardy har. I have been under that misapprehension for many, many years. We uh, we get actual mail. We received some mail today. We got a, a box of a couple of different pounds of coffee, which uh, immediately went to me because Ken doesn't drink coffee. No one so sent me any postum as I, I, as I keep requesting. <laughs> I scored big there. I got a very nice letter from a young man, 16-year-old in, uh, in North Carolina, I think. And what else did we get today in the mail? We got some postcards. We get wonderful postcards from people. Somebody wants us to send their uh, beloved a free anniversary present. That's right. I got invited to someone's wedding. You, you got to save the date. Yeah, I did. They don't want me there at all. Unless you have a plus one. I felt like that was unusual that they would invite me and not you to their wedding, but I want you to come with me if I go. It's right. in Massachusetts. It's a gay wedding. No, I don't think so. Oh. I think it was a straight wedding. They still have those in Massachusetts. I Although, guess. who knows? I don't want to normal norm, normativize their, their wedding. They could identify as any number of different things. They should know that you will not bring a nice gift and that you need me for a plus one. Uh, yeah, our gift will be our attendance. 
Or in our case, maybe our gift will be our non-attendance. But anyway, we do get mail and it's lovely. Basically, John will DJ your wedding is what he's saying. Yeah. Last week, we got some some nudie posters, some nudie calendars like would hang in a uh, garage, like an auto repair garage. From New Zealand. From New Zealand. All the girls were upside down. Uh, what else did we get? Oh, you know what we got is uh, a brochure from someone who is oh. assembling a full catalog of the world's sidewalk uh, uh, wet cement markings. This is a wonderful, wonderful idea. She's trying to build a database of photographs and geolocating spots, geolocations. Coordinates. Coordinates, thank you. Of all this, all the spots where pe- somebody's carved their name into the cement or a dog walked across wet cement or a bird. I think it's a great project. You and I each have one of those on our property, and we were kind of wondering if it has to be a public thoroughfare to be of interest. Yeah, in my backyard, all the people that lived here when they poured that the concrete around that swimming pool, they all etched their names in it. But I don't think you'd want that on her map because then people would be tromping through your yard. It sounds like you don't want it on her map. Do you want somebody coming to see your... No, I just want someone coming to see yours. Oh, I see. And, maybe, fall, and falling uh, into your pool, which is kind of booby-trapped right now, <laughs> and the tiger eats them. Maybe we should do that. We, it should be a great prank where you go uh, geolocate some some graffiti on your friend's property. Or in the middle of a missile testing range. or It'd be like signing up your pal for, for a magazine subscription to a hilarious magazine. That happened uh, to us, by the way. Right. I, don't, I don't know if it was because people were mad at me online or... But you did get a racy, so a series of racy uh, postcards. Oh, but I, no, I, in addition to that, like years ago, I was getting just car and driver and modern maturity and uh, f- uh, f- photography weekly. Um, just people random. just sent stuff to you. Yeah. Hmm. I think just because they were mad online. But the joke's on them. I got amazing magazines and never paid. You love, you love car and driver. It's the worst prank. Anyway, send us stuff to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our current kleptocracy will survive. Uh, We hope and pray that whatever Armageddon we fear may never come. But if the cataclysm comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But if Providence allows, we hope to return and be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.